1: So that's what we're gonna be doing today. If you're eating, keep eating. If you want more, you can get up and check, graze, see what's left at the table. Most of it's demolished. But but if you want some more chips, I know there's some more cupcakes and some really good cookies left, so. Uh, But feel free to continue eating while we're talking. But we're gonna continue our series, Family Talk. Uh, Connie started it last week. And this week, we're gonna be talking about conflict. And I'll be honest, I felt a little bit inadequate uh, to preach this message, because if I'm being honest with you, me and my wife don't ever experience any conflict at all, whatsoever. I don't know how, it's just lucky, just one of those things. Um, so I'll do my best, given that I've never experienced conflict in my own family. Uh, but and, and it does feel weird to be talking, like giving a family talk. Uh, and when it comes to family experience, Most of you guys have it like way over me, right? My my wife and I have only been married uh, for two years, and so a lot of you guys have been married significantly longer than that, so it's hard for me to speak from a wealth of experience that you guys have more than I do. We don't have children, which a lot of you guys do, and so it's hard to speak from a place of experience uh, where that's concerned. And honestly, I'm sure I've complained about this before, but it, it feels unfair to be the one primary speaker up here that doesn't have any kids, because those, those are just like little content generators, man. They give you stories and illustrations and things to tell. Last week, Connie was going through her like bedtime routine with Sai and you know the forehead kisses and the, the man hug. We got to hear about that. The week before that, Philip was giving us the feels reading like his bedtime story that he shares with Emmy every week. And so my wife and I have been trying to remedy that situation, right? The main reason we've been trying for kids is so that I have better sermon illustrations to be able to use. And you guys know that's been a struggle with us. We've been open with our missional community. We've been open with you guys in worship gathering, that that's been something that's been difficult for us. Um, And so I'm excited to be able to share with you guys the good news that last month we found out we're expecting. So... That's super exciting. I want to thank you guys. So many of you guys in here have been uh, encouraging us. You guys know we were trying for a long time. It's been difficult. And so, so many of you guys gave us encouragement. So many of you guys prayed for us. Some of you guys prayed over us in many cases. And, and that just goes to show how great this community is and how excited we are to be able to raise a child in, in this community with you guys. So thank you guys so much uh, for praying for us. And I'm so glad to be able to give you guys good news. Uh, we'll Take more questions about that later. That's not the main point of my message tonight. I, could, I should just end it there and everybody be excited and happy. But I'm going to uh, share some other stuff too. Uh, so, uh, during the panel time, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Again, unqualified. I have nothing. I have no answers. We're we're just walking into this uh, pretty lost. Uh, I heard a pastor share about a study that had been done. Uh, it was with uh, over eight hundred thousand. College and graduate students. And among the other questions that they were asked, they were asked specifically, how would you rate your ability to get along with others? How would you rate your ability to get along with others? And they had three options. They could say they were above average in their ability to get along with others, average, or below average. And so out of these over 800,000 college and graduate students that were polled, what percentage would you guess? rated their ability to get along with others at, le- like at below average? What, how much? 80%? Anybody else? 66%? 100%. I'm going to be honest with you. You guys are so far off. It was less than 1%. Less than 1% of the people polled considered their ability to get along with others at below average. They said, yeah, there's probably a lot of people better than me, but I'm not the worst, right? And I don't know if you guys are math whizzes or if you understand how the laws of averages work, but a lot of people who took that study were delusional, right? Because averages would say that close to 400,000 of them were below average at their ability to be able to get along with others well. And so I think that sometimes we need to be honest with ourselves there's a lot of people in this room that maybe experience a lot of drama and a lot of con- uh, conflict in their life, but wouldn't consider themselves to be a contentious individual, right? And so I hate to be the one to break the news to you, but if you're someone that experiences a lot of conflict in your life and you say, man, I just have conflict with my spouse, with my boss, with my coworkers, with people in my missional community. Everywhere I go, I experience conflict with people. There is one common denominator in all of those <laughs> interactions and all those relationships. Connie uh, spoke to that a little bit last week. And so for some of us, we need to be honest and realize that we maybe don't handle conflict as well as we think we do. And so we're going to be talking tonight specifically about conflict within families um, but that does not mean, as Connie pointed out last week as she introed uh, our series, does not mean we're talking about conflict within marriages. It doesn't mean we're talking even about conflict among your you know, nuclear family, your immediate family. The, the term family, some of us have, uh, whether it's because of the military or maybe it's because of conflict, like what we're going to be talking about tonight, that the people that we're closest to are not our blood relatives, right? We have a chosen family of close relationships, friends and other individuals that we have bonded with over the years, that it doesn't matter if they are legally or blood relatives, that to us, those relationships are as strong as family. And so when we have a series called Family Talk, we're not just talking about you, your wife, and your two and a half kids. Right, we're talking about families, however we put them together, Um, and so your chosen family may be what you identify with as we talk about that tonight, and that's entirely fair. Uh, But this is an appropriate time to be talking about conflict. Uh, I have no actual statistical evidence, uh, but at least anecdotally, it feels like our culture right now is as polarized as it has ever been. Right it seems almost impossible. To go about your day, to engage in social media and other things and not experience some kind of conflict. Uh, Routers did a poll last year uh, where they were discussing the fallout from the 2016 presidential election. And uh, so these were some of the numbers that they found as they took this poll. And this was, this was taken last year, so uh, uh, two years after the election itself. It said 15% of people that were polled said that the 2016 presidential election has had a negative impact on relationships with close friends and family members. 14% of people have ended a relationship with a family member, and 17% of people have ended a relationship with a close friend for reasons related to the election. 17% of people have blocked a family member or close friend on social media for reasons related to the election. 16% have stopped talking to a close friend or a family member for reasons related to the election, and 33%, one in three, have had at least one argument with a close friend or family member because of the election. So in our current cultural moment, conflict has seemingly become unavoidable. So how do we handle it? If we can't avoid it, then we need to know how do we handle it in a healthy and God-honoring way. And so uh, one of the scriptures that we're going to talk about, uh, the first one we're going to take a look at, this will be on the screens, it's also in the back if you're turned a different way, but Proverbs chapter 12, uh, verse 18, it says, the words of the reckless, and in some translations it uses foolish instead of reckless, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So if we as followers of Christ are really concerned with bringing people together, if we want to be people that are about healing relationships rather than divisive relationships, then the most important question I think that we can ask is, how do we engage in conflict wisely? I think frequently when we are, find ourselves in conflict, that's not the question that we ask ourselves. Rather than ask ourselves, "Are we? am I being wise? The question that we ask ourselves, the, what we usually concern ourselves with, is, am I Right? Right, rather than worried about being wise, we ask ourselves, "Am I right?" But being right and being wise are not the same thing. It is entirely possible uh, to be right and be right in the wrong way. Right, you can be right in a wise way, or you could be right in a really foolish way. Uh, and so, if we want to be people that rather than stir up conflict, we need to ask ourselves: If we want to make peace, we need to worry. Are we worried about simply whether or not we are right, but rather whether or not are we being wise? You can be right in a wise way or in a foolish way. And so I want us to quickly take a look at a passage in James. This comes from James chapter 3. And in in this passage, the author of James talks about two different kinds of wisdom. Uh, You'll notice one of them is wisdom and one of them is wisdom. (laughs) You'll note the quotation marks. Uh, So this comes from uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. Again, this will be on the the screens uh, unless you have a a Bible or a a device you want to use in front of you. We're going to start in verse 13. Uh, and I don't know where I landed, but it is not James chapter three. Uh, I'll just read off the screen with you guys. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So James in verse thirteen starts off talking about wisdom. Uh, go back to verse thirteen. Yeah, thank you. How does James say? How does James say that those who are wise should show it? Those who are wise among you, how does James say that they should show their wisdom? By good deeds done in what? Humility. So James right off the bat says, those of you who are wise should show it by your deeds, by your life that is lived in humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, Humility does not mean a low self-opinion of yourself, right? A lot of times when we think of being humble, we think of when people say good things about us, we got to be like, oh, no, that's true. That's not true. No, I'm really an idiot. It's you know, or we do like the, the the Christian humble thing where we like it's just to God be the glory. Hey, you preached a good sermon. God be the glory, right? And so we think that's like that's really a false humility. Humility is not having a low self opinion of ourselves. Rather, uh, humility is a willingness to serve other people and putting their interests above my own, right? That's what true biblical humility is, is of saying that I'm going to look to others' interests before I look to my own interests. And so James said this is what wisdom looks like. It's by good deeds and a life lived in humility. And then if we look at uh, verses 14 and 15, uh, he goes on to share about a different. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, and this is where we see these quotes, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He goes on to talk about this different kind of wisdom, and he says it's characterized by two things. He says it's characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. So bitter envy, this idea of competition, right, and selfish ambition, the need to win. And so this is what it says, this, this kind of wisdom, if we are obsessed with rather than being wise with being right, with bitter envy, competition, and selfish ambition, the need to win to get what I can out of this argument, James says that this is not this kind of wisdom is not from heaven. And he uses three very serious words. He says that this is earthly, unspiritual, and then maybe the strongest word, demonic. It fulfills the purposes of the devil, which is to create division among us rather than unite us and rather than bring us together. So if in our wisdom we are more concerned with competition and with being found right... And what we can get out of the situation, rather than bring healing, rather than acting in wisdom, we bring division and we uh, separate uh, in our relationships. We go on to look in in verse 16. The author goes to show what wisdom really looks like. So picking up in 16, it says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, uh, take a look at this list, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. I want, to, I want to read this list to you again. And again, the author says this is what wisdom really looks like. So as I read this list, I want you to think, the last time I engaged in conflict, or maybe when I regularly engage in conflict, is this the wisdom that we have? Would, peop- would you use these words to describe yourself when you're engaged in conflict? Maybe most importantly, would the other party that you're in conflict with, would they use these words to describe your demeanor, your posture, and your tone? It says the wisdom that comes from heaven, there's eight things. It's first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, bearing good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And to me, that's a really, there's a spirit check right there for me, right? Because I know that when I'm engaged in conflict and an argument, those are not the words that I would describe my attitude, right? I know that I'm much more on this other side of I need the other person to know that they are wrong and I am right. And it's important to me that they get those things. But James shows us that foolishness is shown by conflict and the need to win. And a wise person knows that being righteous is more important than being right. So I want you to hear me very, very clearly. It is entirely possible to be right and then be completely in the wrong in the situation. If I'm right in the wrong way, I am in the wrong, if you prefer it to be said that way. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, challenges us that we are to be two things. Followers of Christ should be salt and light, Right? And so he uses this this descriptor of light, that we should bring light into our relationships, we should bring light into the world. But sometimes the words that we choose to use and the way that we choose to engage in conflict, rather than bringing light, we just make a lot of heat. And so rather than bringing light, we're just purely generating heat. And so I think something that's easy, I heard a a pastor, uh, Larry Osborne, uh, use this. And he says, If I'm right in the wrong way, I'm wrong. And if my words are causing more heat than light, then we need to shut up. So sometimes when we're arguing with people, right, and they're just not getting the point that we're trying to make. And so we think to ourselves, I know what the problem is. I must not be using enough of my words. (laughs) And so we go and we start to... Think of more facts that support our argument. We try to think of better ways to frame our argument so that other people will understand it. And the truth is, sociological studies have been done that show that the way that people's minds are changed are not by facts or by persuasive arguments. It's through relationship and through empathy and through connection that people's minds are changed. And so we generate more heat by trying to come up with persuasive arguments and convincing facts That people just, they just dig down into their own paradigm, their own tribe, rather than trying to make a connection that heals rather than divides. We should be looking for how can we approach conflict with humility and wisdom, uh, and that's far more important than trying to win an argument. Uh, We're going to wrap up with this, and then we're going to do some discussion together. Uh, The thing is, conflict does not have to be a bad word right? Conflict actually at its core is something that can bring a lot of good, right? There's no way that we grow without being challenged and without experiencing tension, right? If we never experienced conflict or things, if we had the things that we believe and the things that we think challenged, then we would still believe the same things that we believed in fill in the blank, right? In school, in college, in your 20s, in your 30s, fill in the blank with wherever you are, but if we don't grow unless we experience challenge and tension, which we find frequently in conflict. So the question is, how do we have healthy conflict rather than unhealthy conflict? There's another passage in Scripture that's one of my favorites that also talks about humility and selfish ambition, two things that we've talked about already. And so uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, this is, again, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'll read that one more time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, not because this is one of those things that I can look at and be like, yes, nailing it, I am killing it. This is one of my favorite passages because it is super challenging for me. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room, so I won't ask anybody else to volunteer yourselves. But I am at my core inherently and incurably selfish. Left to my own devices, I only care about what I want, what I need, and I only value relationships in as much as I can receive from them rather than what I can give to those relationships. And so it's only by uh, the the power of the Spirit in me that I'm able to try to grow out of those things, try to avoid those attitudes and behaviors, right? It's only through loving our neighbor and, yes, even loving our enemy that we're able to create the kind of empathy that heals rather than divides. I wanted to leave a few practical tips for engaging in conflict in healthy ways. These are not uh, mind-blowing I'm not going to give you anything that is going to completely change your paradigm. But there are a few just very practical tips that I wanted to leave uh, for engaging in conflict in a healthy way rather than engaging in conflict in an unhealthy way. Engaging in conflict that the goal is to heal relationships and bring people together in unity rather than create division and win arguments. And so I'm going to to go through these uh, pretty quickly and then we'll turn it over from discussion. The first uh, tip for uh, engaging in conflict in a healthy way, is set boundaries outside of times of conflict. Set boundaries outside of times of conflict. When you are engaged in conflict with somebody and your uh, adrenaline is shooting through your body, you're elevated, your fight or flight is, is engaged, that is not the time to try to put healthy boundaries in place, Right? And so again, we're talking about conflict within families, right? We're not talking about conflict with strangers. We're not talking about conflict with the random person on Facebook whose thing came across your feed. We're talking about conflict within loving, intimate relationships. And so set boundaries within those relationships. Uh, For example, this is just a couple that makes sure boundaries ensure all parties are treated with respect. You can figure out what those are. Maybe it's no swearing, right? No personal attacks, Uh, Whatever the case may be, set boundaries when you're not elevated so that in times of conflict, you know what those boundaries are so that everybody involved is treated with dignity and respect. The second one, look for common ground rather than attacking differences. Look for common ground rather than attacking differences. Usually when we argue with somebody, we are listening for the one thing that they have to say that we don't agree with so that we can attack that thing as soon as they're done talking, Right? And so rather than listening for the differences in order to build up your argument, instead look for common ground. What are the the things, the values, the ideas that we share that we can build on instead of looking for the things that separate us and trying to attack those things? Third one is identify the real issue. Frequently during conflict, we mask the real issue with other things that are easier to talk about on the surface. Uh, I got permission from my wife to share a personal example. Uh, One of the chores at my house is the dishes, right? That's the one, you know, that's the thing that I'm supposed to do. My wife doesn't like doing the dishes and she doesn't mind doing a whole lot of chores I don't like doing. So I do the dishes and that's the thing that we've agreed on. But sometimes I get behind. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not going to. I don't know how we generate dishes so fast. I will walk in there after having two empty sinks we have not eaten dinner or anything, and it's two full sinks of dishes. I don't know, but I'm not going to make excuses. I don't know how it happens. But if my wife gets annoyed with me because I've fallen behind in my, in my role of doing the dishes, it would be really easy for her to get annoyed with me and for me to think, what is the big deal, right? So we've got a few dishes in the sink for a little while, no big deal. When in reality, the heart of the issue, I know because I know my wife, is that she experiences anxiety, and home is one of the places where she wants to be a safe place and a sanctuary, and it's hard for her to have lowered levels of anxiety unless things are clean and neat and put away where they're supposed to be. So I, as her husband, know that, and so it'd be really easy for us to argue about a surface level thing of why didn't the dishes get done, when really the heart of the matter is that I should care enough to know that when they're not done, it elevates my wife's anxiety level rather than just focus on, well, you know, I didn't get to them because of this, that, and the other thing. And so it's easier to fight about why the dishes did or didn't get done, but it doesn't heal the issue that's the real issue at the core. Uh, The fourth thing, one of the things that will help us identify that real issue is using I-statements. My wife and I had the privilege of getting to go through premarital counseling together, and we've had the the privilege of being able to give premarital counseling. And uh, I-statements is one of those tools that if you've ever done any marital counseling, you have heard about. And it's just one of those things that's really clunky to do in practice but can be really, really valuable. And so if you're not familiar uh, with I-statements... Um, it's speaking in I statements means speaking about your feelings without blaming somebody else. So in my previous example of my wife and I in the dishes, uh, my wife could easily say, you didn't do the dishes and you said you were going to do the dishes. Or she could say, I feel much more comfortable at home when you get the dishes done because my anxiety is lessened when things are neat and clean. Both communicate the issue, right? The issue is that I didn't do the dishes. But one of them helps get to the heart of the issue And one of them shares your personal feelings rather than attaching blame to somebody else, which will immediately put them in a defensive state of mind. And so again, both communicate the same thing, but one does so in a way that heals division and one in a way that puts people on the defensive. The last thing is uh, focus on resolution, not blame. And then in parentheses, you're on the same team. Sometimes our whole goal in an argument is to make sure the other person knows that they are wrong. That's our whole purpose is I need you to know that you were wrong in this situation, and here's why. Uh, I want you to hear me clearly say that while that may feel good in the moment, to, make, to get to the point to argue somebody into uh, admitting that they were wrong in this situation, that it's not healthy, and while it may resolve the uh, issue temporarily, it does not strengthen or heal relationships and will only serve to create bitterness and resentment over time. When you recognize that you and the other party are on the same team, it changes the problem from me versus you to us versus the issue, which is a completely different posture. It's a completely different attitude uh, to have. And it strengthens the bonds between you rather than weakening them. Uh, So those are five, again, not groundbreaking, not no one's going to come up to me and ask me to write a book after this because of these five very simple ways of engaging conflict in a healthy way. But part of the fun of these family gatherings is that you don't have to listen to me talk for 40 minutes, right? Is that you get to hear me talk for much less. And then we're going to turn it over to you to have some discussion. So uh, for the next 15, 20 minutes, uh, we want you guys to take some time at your table and discuss the three questions that we have there. You'll notice when you get to question three there is, it doesn't make any sense. I typoed and I copy pasted, I'ma take that L, that was on me. And so if you need to know what was supposed to be on the the last question, just look up at the screens because it's correct on the screens. So you have cards in front of you and then the screens uh, have the same questions on them. We would love for you to take 15 minutes or so, go through these questions. These are conversation starters. It does not mean that you have to get through check, 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 made it through all three. You can start there, and if your conversation goes off into a, a different place that's healthy, go ahead and, and do that. Um, and then afterwards, we're going to have uh, some Q&A where you guys can share some of the stories that were shared at your uh, table. If some, maybe a question came up that you want to throw back at us, uh, me and a couple other of the, the co-leaders will be up here to uh, hear your stories and respond to your questions. So we're going to kick it to you guys. Spend some time discussing those things among your table. I'm on for you guys. Uh, So hopefully you guys were having some good conversation. I I don't mean to cut it short, but we do want to take a little bit of time for some Q&A. And so we would love, we've got uh, Philip and Connie uh, have mobile microphones. And so uh, if you have something you want to share, just put your hand up and they're going to come, they'll come to you so you can share it on the mic for everybody to hear you well. But we would love to hear either maybe uh, if your table had a particularly good answer to one of the questions, we would love to hear your thoughts on that. If there was a story or a conversation that was shared that made you look at something in a new way and you want to share that with everybody, um, or if there are any questions that came about that you guys discussed that you want to get a take on, we would love to hear that as well. So um, just who has something they would like to share, throw your hands up at me and uh, uh, we'll get somebody over with a microphone only if she raises her hand i'm not i'm not doing that
0: (laughs) i I have a question
1: what's your question Phil?
0: and either one of you guys or maybe someone else do either of you guys have with your spouses the preset like this is kind of how we fight like these boundaries set up do you guys have some and what would be some good maybe if they don't work for you guys like you already kind of have a couple but you don't have a bunch or you've watched other couples or you've giving counseling to other couples, what are some good examples for people to hold on to tonight that you would say, yeah, here are some good things for you guys to consider as helpful boundaries. So like tonight when you go home and you're not fighting on the way home, you guys can maybe look at, you know, what are some boundaries that would help us not get into some of these he said, she said, you statements, those kind of things you talked about, Jeff.
1: Yeah, I can only speak hypothetically again, not experiencing conflict in my own marriage. Um, (laughs) I got yelled at when I got to the table for having a hole in my shirt. I should have used that example instead of the dishes example. Um, But I can speak for us. To answer your question, we haven't set clear, like, these are the rules of engagement. Um, But we know one of the things that we did set early on, and this is just for us, it's not prescriptive that everybody else has to have these same ones, and I certainly don't mean to step on toes of people from different backgrounds or anything else, but I know one of the things that we said for us is that we would never bring up uh, divorce during an argument. We would never bring that up as a way to, like as a threat or as a way of trying to, you know, get our way. And that was just something that we said that 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 just would not be, that would never become uh, leverage or something to be used in an argument. And so we don't have clear, you know, step-by-step things, but that was something that the two of us agreed to pretty early in our, in our, even pre, pre-marriage relationship, that that was something that we felt was important to us. Um, I'm, a, I'm a child of divorce myself, and I know how it affected me, and, uh, and so that was just something that I felt like we didn't want, not that we can guarantee that something like that wouldn't happen, you can't guarantee something like that, but that we would never bring it up in a heated moment or an argument as a way of trying to hurt the other person or, or gain some kind of leverage in the situation.
2: I'm going to broaden it a little bit because I, when I think of conflict, I actually think of with my kids and my husband and my relationships. So really, it's kind of like the boundaries I've set for myself. So I know me, I know what my buttons are, and I know when other people are trying to push them. And so for me, I've set boundaries on myself and know that if certain words come up or certain things that I know are going to trigger me, then I just need to just say, hey, I need to walk away for a minute, I'm gonna go think this, think this through and I'll be back. So I've been trying to, they're in the room, so this is really scary, but <laughs> I've been trying to initiate some of that with my children, because I know me. And I think that's where conflict arises, is a lot of times we wanna put that on the other person, like conflict is happening because of that person. No, conflict is happening because of me. And I know what's put, what buttons are being pushed in the moment. So for me, I think, The whole boundary thing triggered that. Like, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Like, I know my language. I know what language I speak, and I know how other people hear me. So I'm learning to use different words in different situations. I'm learning to um, walk away when I need to take a little breather. Uh, Don't ask them if it's working, please. (laughs) But yeah, it's me that I'm focusing on in this because for me, usually, if an argument happens, the only thing I can do in that is um, think about myself and what I have brought to the table and how I'm going to uh, adjust things so that I don't add more to the situation there. So it's more about in all my relationships, friendships, my kids, my husband, I'm learning to read my own signals and um, use different language at times and different wordings. and.
1: That's, that's something that's really important too is knowing Uh, knowing your the other party and knowing that people process things differently. So again, it doesn't matter if it's a a spouse, a friend, or a, a child, a brother, a sister, that like, so to use myself as an example, I process out loud. And so there are gonna be times when we're in a fight where I'm using a whole lot of words, not just to try to change somebody's mind, but to wrap my mind around, you know, how do I view this? And so for somebody else who processes more internally, it should be, uh, and again, maybe this goes to some of the, the boundaries or the, the, the things that we, the, um, that we have put into place, but to be able to say like, this is not something I can engage in right now, like we need to take a time out because I need to go from a place of being elevated to get back to a baseline so that we can discuss this in a way that doesn't uh, create more heat than light. And I think that should be something that's understood because otherwise if you just pull it like, nope, I'm done talking about it, I'm out then that can really upset the other partner if there's not an understanding in place that hey, it's okay for us to take a time out, kind of get back to a baseline and then resume that conversation later in order for it to keep it from going down a road that's really unhealthy. And so that would be another one that would be a good kind of pre-rule to have in place before conflict comes up.
0: How many of you guys would say that you fall like in the fight or flight idea? How many of you guys are naturally fighters in the room? And then the flight people in the room? Right, so like there's a natural divide in the room, uh, and that's, that's pretty normal. Uh, that may be how your relationship is, it may not be, but I think one of the things that Jeff said that I've learned in uh, family relationships, friendships across the board, is you can't just all of a sudden like, shut down if you're a flight person, because the fighter all of a sudden, uh, who's usually the, the one who is um, processing out loud as well, feels ignored and and all of a sudden left out to dry. And the flight person has now shut down and they've they've withdrawn and it's not productive on either side. So having this conversation ahead of time is very, very helpful. Uh, My family comes, my family right now, I've got two younger brothers and my mom. And so whenever we're on holidays, there is not a more polarizing um, setting than any family function that we have. And so I'm the oldest, but yet I end up being the mediator in most of these conversations because if not, everyone just ends up locking their doors and like that's Thanksgiving the rest of the day, you know, or whatever it is. So learning how to help people engage in this, but also realize, hey mom, actually he just needs a time out for a little bit. Like he just needs to like put withdrawal, things are okay. But we've had to learn how to have these conversations ahead of time. So I would say for all of you guys, like Jeff said, don't wait till the heat of the moment to have this. It's not going to be good then try and have some of these conversations and understand the other person and figure out what's helpful. So, you know, if you shut down naturally, you know, maybe the other person needs to understand, hey, I just need like an hour, right? Like maybe you put a time limit on it and that's helpful for that person to be like, okay. Or an hour or two, right? I'm not saying it has to be like a hard fast rule, but something that allows the other person to feel like you're not just walking away and you're leaving them hanging, right? That's that's an important part of the process.
1: Yeah. one of the things, and again, we're using the question three on the slide, not on your card, because I don't know what happened on your card. Um, But one of the reasons that we put that question on there, what are some tendencies that you have that lead to unhealthy conflict? Uh, That's because I think it's a lot easier for us to point out the things that other people do that cause conflict rather than the things that we bring to the table that make those things spiral downhill instead of being healing. So uh, was that, was there something that you, and your discussion that you learned about yourself or that you feel comfortable sharing, what are some things that are like, uh, that you recognize about yourself that you can admit, I bring this into conflict and make it, uh, make it difficult? Throw it high so people can see it. top knot.
3: So uh, I'm definitely a flight person. Um, I try and avoid conflict whenever possible. And something that I've recently been trying to address is the fact that what that can a lot of times lead to is I I think to myself, I really don't want to have to have this discussion with this person where I ask them if this is okay or, you know, if this is going to cause a problem. So I'm just going to do it and hope it doesn't cause a problem. And then it usually ends up causing a bigger problem than if I had just talked to them. And so, you know, I'm kind of trying to force myself out of that, like, tendency to just, like, try and avoid confrontation and, like, you know, do it more often.
1: That's good. That's really healthy, somebody really good must have done your premarital counseling for you to learn stuff like that.
3: Um, Yeah, we didn't actually get to the third question, but a a couple things we picked up, and and one of the things that I bring is this, uh, patience, uh, and not the good kind. (laughs) Um, In in arguments, and, and my loving and gracious wife can attest to this, and some people who I'm friends with probably too uh, will know that I will just sit and wait for you to say something dumb <laughs> and then I'm all over it, uh, I'm all over you and so it's, it's one of those and then if nothing comes up I can play the I, I did not engage out of out of this idea of keeping peace or out of this idea of humility, I didn't engage, but it's false. I, I, I'm not being authentic in those relationships either. And so that's some of the stuff it comes down to is that, is that not only do we come in with tendencies and some of us who are some, some who are peacemakers, well, all of us in, to some extent will roll over under the guise of humility or under the guise of making peace and let injustices pass. And humility that, is, that doesn't speak truth is inauthentic, and so is peacemaking.
1: Hmm. That's good. Uh, before we wrap up, does anybody else have anything came from their discussion at their table that they want to share? Oh, one over here.
4: It's kind of unfair because my husband's not here, but I could FaceTime him; he would he would attest. <laughs> um, I tend—it's uh, a bad habit of um, stuffing a situation and holding it in, thinking under the guise that I'm doing the right thing, that it doesn't really bother me that bad. But then, it, when it comes out, it's this big giant mm. tornado. Mm. <laughs> if I just would have approached it in the beginning and not uh, filed it back, thinking that it'll be fine if I just put it back here and it'll probably never be revisited again. And of course, whatever made it present, some behavior will make us have to revisit it again. And then there I am with my stenographer pulling up the backlog of, well, on march that's my truth i i i i I do i know we're not supposed to keep track of things but i do and i think well okay i'm gonna let it slide because certainly it won't happen again and it does and then it leads to a very unhealthy conflict
1: yeah yeah that's good. The, the, the good thing about being able to recognize these things, that's step one, right? <laughs> step two is that, okay, how do we do our best to eliminate those things? How can we try to grow through those things? So thank you guys for sharing. Um,
0: Jeff, I also want to say one, one quick thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's actually never, ever been someone who changed their opinion because of a debate on Facebook. So I would just say conflict in general, right? Like it's a, we as a society we were joking at our table, like grab the popcorn, man. There's so many fun debates to read and watch people go off each other on Facebook. But if, if that is something that you find yourself in or ever tempted to engage in, I would just remind you that's not a healthy place for that. There's a difference between unfriending someone and unfollowing someone on Facebook. If you haven't figured out that feature, you should probably figure that one out. But figuring out maybe there are people in your life that are not adding value, Blocking them is probably not the appropriate measure, but sometimes unfollowing because conflict sometimes can be created in these moments because we don't know how to not engage because, like Connie said, people sometimes push our buttons and all of a sudden we fire in. And so I would just, as a general, just a healthy human adult practice, stay away from conversations that are conflict on social media. Uh, That would be a practical thing especially.
1: Yeah, and it's so hard to do because for those of you – uh, we talk about APEST a lot at Awaken. If you're not familiar with what APEST pest is um, and you're interested, grab one of us, we'll share it with you. But for those of you that have a more prophetic uh, gifting through the APEST, pest then you view those things that are happening on social media not just as, well, so-and-so's popping off, but it's a justice issue, right? Like the things that they're sharing or the things that they're saying or the attitudes that they have could be detrimental and minimize somebody else, right? And so you want to go into protection mode and, and justice mode and jump into those things. And that's... And, uh, uh, an impulse that is not wrong, but again, we have to say, are our words creating light or are they creating heat? And use wisdom in when do we engage in, and when we don't. And so I'm with Philip. I think the vast majority of times the wisdom would say, not on social media, rather, hey, why don't we grab coffee and talk about this? And when you have those kind of connections, those, uh, those walls come down. It's a lot different when it's in person for sure. Um, okay, cool. A couple announcements and then we're going to wrap things up. Uh, As soon as we're done here, uh, before...